Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that this is a safe place. Now we've all had bad church experiences and it helps if we talk about it. <laughs> Jeff and Cindy. Huh? Why don't you what? two get us started? Oh, no, uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, well, Cindy, <laughs> why don't you tell us what happened? Okay, so it was our first time at this church. Now, before we wrap up, Jeff, Cindy, I know it's your first time, but we like for all of our guests to pray for us before we go. That wouldn't make you feel awkward at all, would it? Yes. No, we'd be happy to. Go ahead, honey. Go ahead. Okay. Let us, let's pray. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pray. That doesn't sound so bad. It gets worse. For the homeless, for the people who have homes, for the people who built those homes, and for Sherlock Holmes. Give us bread, Lord, and forgive us our trespasses because we were probably lost and we didn't realize that we were on private property. Well, it's not great. Still not the worst part. And there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Amen. I'm sure they know you meant well. They asked us not to come back. Um, I like to laugh, and I don't mean to belittle any of your very serious bad church experiences. Um, but I thought that was funny. I asked on Facebook this week for you to tell me some of your bad church experiences. Let me share some of them with you. My hurt story comes from when I was a teenager. I loved to play the piano and was eager to play in a church any chance I got. I was very rarely permitted to play uh, in the morning service, so most of the time it was Sunday evening. I always practiced a ton and made an effort to do my very best. One Sunday evening, I was playing for uh, the offertory. I chose a very modest button-up shirt and black straight-leg dress pants that were ironed with a nice crease and black dress shoes. I played my offertory piece, and I think I did a good job. After the service, I was approached by my pastor and was told that it was inappropriate and disrespectful to wear pants on stage in the church. And I was never asked to be on, uh, I was told not to be on the stage with pants again. He never once thanked me for playing or said I did a good job. I was 16 at the time. He wrecked my spirit. It is so ingrained in my memory that I cannot look at him in the face today. The same pastor had a child who was viewing pornography and a child who had their own child out of wedlock. And I was chastised for pants on the stage. Clearly, this still bothers me, <laughs> and I don't have much respect for that pastor. Um, someone wrote to me as well that uh, they were attending a church, and um, the pastor told her husband that he married beneath himself, and he ought to leave his wife and kids. And she's told me that more than once. So the pastor was so rude to her that when they would pass each other in church that he would deliberately turn his back or something like that. Well, hallelujah, praise the Lord. How about that? How does anybody ever get saved with stuff that goes on like that? Um, here's a couple more stories from our church. I was born and raised 
in the church, baptized, confirmed, and married in it, had our kids baptized and confirmed in it, and I was practically lived, breathed, and ate and slept church. Then our pastor sexually harassed me. My husband and I had to go through so many hoops, even with hard proof, to have anything done that it revealed an ugly, ugly underbelly at the highest leadership levels. We left that denomination for another. Within a half a year, that pastor resigned during the, due to clergy sexual misconduct. Wagons were circled. The truth was silenced. The victim, who had hard proof of abuse, and her family was slandered and cast out. Many, side, many sided with the, in quotes, poor pastor who refused therapy. It's a darn near impossible for me to trust a faith leader. Three years ago, uh, I had an accusation against me. It came to me at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I called a board meeting that evening. Before I called the board meeting, I called the district superintendent. Told him everything, the accusation, what it was, nothing to it, no way this could even be true. It has to be made up out of clear air. I told the board that night, I said, I'm just, nothing even close to this has ever happened with this person. Totally made up. One of the board members says, well, you know, we believe you. I said, no, no. I'm appointing a committee tonight of three people to investigate this and get to the bottom of this. So there is no doubt in anyone's mind. And that, those three people did their job. We got, a, we got a handwritten letter from the person that accused me that said that it was totally fabricated. There's a copy of that in that office. There's a copy of that in the district office. That's how you handle something like this. You're transparent. You're open. You come clean. And when you get gossipy and silence about it, people will always suspect the worst. And if you're innocent, God will protect you from all of that. Uh, this is from our, in our church, too. This is our story. Right after my wife and I were married, we were trying out churches. We started going to a small church for a while because we knew the pastor. After a couple of months, we just didn't feel like we were meant to be at that church. The church had no music or kids program. We started going to a different church. After a few weeks, I received a handwritten letter from the old pastor stating that he was disappointed that we chose the big church with all the, in quotes, expensive SUVs in the parking lot. Wow. God help us. There's somebody in this church. He said he was not going to invest any more time in our relationship and was going to move on to more positive ones. I was very hurt that someone that I considered a friend at that point would make such a rash judgment of us. We didn't let it affect our new church life, but I could have and let that turn me away from all churches, thinking that all pastors cared about was attendance in the tithe plate, but I knew that wasn't God's intent. I have really had to pray for God to help me forgive that other pastor and can only hope that he's still not pastoring that way now. Uh, there, in this town, there, uh, I was told of a pastor that uh, fell to pornography and that was finally discovered on his computer and um, um, several people left that church. Some of them came our way and one lady told me how much her husband was put so much confidence and faith in that pastor that it just tore him up and and previously, that pastor had come to their house to visit and in his very stern, legalistic way had asked the husband 
he had a shredder beside him, like we have shredders at our house to shred up old papers and bills and stuff. He had a shredder beside him, and in a serious way, he asked him, is that where you shred your Playboys? And this pastor eventually fell to pornography. I could read you more that are equally as sordid, some worse, that I won't even tell you what they are. There are many, many bad church experiences, and you have dealt with them. Churches that mistreated you, pastors that mistreated you, things that are still hurting in your spirit right now. And if you would, you would come up one by one and tell me that. If you've had bad church experiences, you are in good company because they're in the Bible. And from as early as the first century, uh, there have been bad church experiences. And I'm sure if you go back into the times before Jesus came and back into the Jewish synagogues back in the Old Testament, there was many, many bad church experiences. But if you had a church experiences, you shouldn't get all freaked out about it because they've happened for a long time. You, you don't think you're anybody special. Don't think you've gone through stuff that no one else has gone to because in the book of 1 Corinthians was written simply because it was a bad church. It was written simply to correct mistakes in that church. That's why the book of 1 Corinthians, we have that. I was assigned in seminary to be able to write a survey of the, all of 1 Corinthians, and I titled that, How Not to Do Church. And that was Paul's reason for writing the letter that we have today as 1 Corinthians for all the corruption and stuff going wrong in the church. We've got a few of those scriptures up here. And the first one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul's writing under the inspiration of God. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Now, now we've never had quarrels in this church before, have we? And there's certainly never been any quarrels in any churches that you've attended to before, right? So this, this, is, uh, you know, this is something that doesn't happen very often, or is that really the case? And it's recorded for us that it happened 2,000 years ago. And God chose to record this in his inspired word, which is a great sign that God's word is inspired and not man didn't just write it and make it all up because if man had written, written the Bible, we'd have covered all this stuff up. We wouldn't have put the bad stuff in. God puts the good and the bad and the ugly about everybody in. Okay, what's the next slide we have? What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas and still uh, some rest of you, your super duper saints, you says, I only follow Christ. So it's, it's like some people saying, well, I follow Pastor Mark and the kids saying, no, I follow Nathan and the children are saying, I follow, uh, what's our children's pastor? Brian and... <laughs> And our senior sister is saying, I follow Pastor Harold, and we just got all these factions and, and, and schisms in the church, and that's just, you probably have been to church like that, and everybody's mad at one another. You got these little groups, it's a little group kicking the tires after board meetings over here, and a little group over here, and people just talk, 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 talk. It was happened 2,000 years ago. It's even recorded in the Bible. Don't think you're the only one that has gone through bad church experiences, okay? What else do we have up here? The fifth chapter of the same letter, Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a, of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. So what does that mean? This man either had sex with his mother or his stepmother. That was going on in this church. And the next verse says, and you are proud, Paul says. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? 
been going on a long time, friends. Bad church experiences, hurt, hurt by pastors, hurt by churches. Been going on a long time. What else do we have from this same church? By the way, when Paul addresses the Corinthians in chapter 1, he calls them saints. He calls them saints. Uh, he says in chapter 6, If any of you have a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment? People were having disputes and they were suing one another. And how dare they, the Apostle Paul says, how dare they take it to a courtroom before an unbelieving judge? And so you've got these two Christians who are supposed to love one another and forgive one another and bear one another's burdens. You have these two Christians who are suing one another and they bring their dispute before an ungodly, unbelieving judge. What's going on in the Corinthian church? That's a pretty bad church and people are don't care enough about their testimony that they will sue another church member and take it before judge so-and-so. What do we have here next, Jen? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you are already completely defeated. Now, here's real spiritual maturity. Why not? Wow. Have Have we reached this level of spiritual maturity, church? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated instead of losing your testimony by suing another Christian and taking it for an unbelieving judge? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Bad church experiences happen left and right, and they... And you can tell me your stories, and anybody in any church can tell me their stories. I've heard of some of your stories, and I'll, I'd love to listen to some more, but frankly, they just make me just boggle my mind sometimes of things that go on in the name of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, my dad used to say, I just don't know why God puts up with any of us. So how do you get over stuff like this? I think it first has to start with kind of lowering your expectation of church a little bit and know that it's filled with people and people aren't perfect. And using the words of my district superintendent at district assembly last year, he says, people are stupid. And he says, I put myself at the top of that list. People are ornery. People are stubborn. Christian people. Do you know the Bible was written to Christians? The Bible wasn't written to unbelievers. It was written to Christians. And do you realize what God saw fit to tell Christians? He told them, you don't lie. Why do you have to tell Christians that if, if we're just perfect people? You know? Why do you have to tell them not to lie? Why do you have to tell them uh, to not to have rage and malice? And Why do you have to tell them to control themselves sexually if we're all just perfect people once we become Christians? Why, why, why is it this chapter after chapter, verse after verse, telling you how you should live and don't lie to one another and don't let, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And Friends, the church is not brick and mortar. The church is people. And people, come on, let's just be honest, friends. People are messed up. And I'm one of the messed up ones. Now, when we get in front of each other on Sunday morning, we don't look messed up, do we? And we put on our best face. But if you want to know how messed up a husband is, ask the wife. 
And you don't want to know how messed up a wife is, ask the husband, because they're the real people in their homes. Friends, we're fallible human beings. And I don't know why God puts up with any of us. And he helps some of us, and some of us are, 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 are growing in spiritual maturity, but there's, I've never met a single Christian on the face of this earth that didn't talk a better game than they walked, I've, including me. I have never met a single Christian on the face of this earth that talked as good a game as they walked. And how do you get over some of this stuff? Is to realize that we're infallible people. God is working on us. We're stubborn people. It would just be great if we could all submit to the will of God and submit to His Spirit and never had to be issues with that and just be blown away by the wind of God's Spirit all the time. But we're not like that, are we, church? We want our own way, don't we, church? I'm at the front of that line. We want our own way, don't we, church? And because we want our own way, we have disagreements in the church. And we have little groups over here that talk and talk and talk and talk. And little groups over there that talk and talk. Because they want their own way and things aren't going the way they want. It's to be expected with any group, whether it's the Qantas Club or the Rotary Club. It's to be expected. Because after all, everybody I'm talking to is not a Christian right now. The Bible says what I do on Sunday morning is take out seed and I throw it out. And it falls on all different kinds of hearts. And I don't direct it to anybody. I just don't take it to Mike and just throw it to Mike. I just throw it out, and it falls everywhere. And the Bible says some hearts that it falls on are hard, and it just bounces right off of, and it doesn't take hold. Some, some of the seed I throw out there, is it, it, it falls on soil that is kind of thorny, and it'll, it, it'll, it'll take root, but it'll burn out real fast because the Bible says of persecution and, and love of the world and all that kind of stuff. And then the Bible says there are some good hearts, and it takes hold on some good hearts, and it gives a fruit 30, 60, and a 100-fold. And it's not my job to worry about it. It's just my job just to throw it out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And because there's bad hearts in the church, And because the church is not made up of all sanctified Christians, we have difficulties in church, and we should not be surprised about that. We should not put us Christians on such a high pedestal that we think we never do anything wrong, or we never commit a sin, or we never gossip, or we we never do this or do that. And when that kind of stuff happens, it just blows us away instead of well, it's thinking, well, they're just, they're just people, you know. They're just people. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Bible says the spirit is willing. I, wa- I want to be all out for Jesus. I want to be sold out for Jesus. I want to live a godly life. But the Bible says the flesh, the flesh, the us part of us, the very human part of us, flesh is weak. And so how do we get over hurts that we've had? We've got to have a realistic view of people. Church is nothing but people. Church is nothing but people. And people is not perfect. And sometimes people can do some really, really bad things. Whether this is the church or the Qantas Club or the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, it's people. And when you've got people put together, stuff's going to go wrong. It's going to go wrong. Well, what about pastors? They're called men of God. They're called women of God. They have a calling on their life. Shouldn't they be held to a higher standard? Yes, they should be held to a higher standard. But you know what? Pastors are people 
too. Pastors are people too. And I was in a district office three and a half years and I had intimate knowledge of 80 pastors on this district. And let me tell you how human they are. And I'm the most human. And I'm just stupid enough to think that God has laid his hand on my life and has called me to do something as audacious as to shepherd a church. You do know my kids are going to be running in the hallways out here, don't you? Are we making too much noise? My kids aren't perfect either. I mean... Anybody that's had Levi in a Sunday school class knows that. I mean. I'm not going to be able to speak to you every Sunday morning. Some of you I'll probably walk right past and really literally not see you because of something else on my mind or my message. And that's not good. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just saying I'm human. I'm people. And some people get all upset. He pastor didn't speak to me today. Well, some of you don't speak to me every Sunday either. <laughs> the church is made up of people, and pastors are people, and we're fallible. Yes, we're held to a higher standard. And yes, when a pastor falls morally and a pastor's indiscretions are such a degree, the board must take action. Absolutely, yes, yes, and yes. Because when a pastor falls, when a pastor falls to immorality or a pastor falls to a lack of integrity, it is tremendous hurt on the whole body of Christ. And it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. But we're just people. And we make some of the same people mistakes that you make. And I'm not saying if a pastor commits adultery, you just let him keep pastoring. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Could we know that we're in a people institution? And when you come to this church, any church, there are people that are going to offend you. There are people that are going to look at you cockeyed. There's people that are going to... Say something the wrong way. They may not even meant to say it. You may take it the wrong way. I don't know. There's people that are going to just kind of bug you. There's some people here that you're going to really like. There's some people you'd never ever invite to your house for dinner. I mean, there's just all of that's here. All of that's here. It's amazing sometimes how church people, that's us, it's amazing sometimes how church people can keep people from church. Because you're not supposed to wear pants on the platform. And sure, you're not supposed to wear a t-shirt when you preach. And well, it's good that they got saved, but the real thing is when they get sanctified. My mom tells a story of being at a revival in a Nazarene church and the altar call was given, and that's when used to be when you give altar calls, the pastors, who remembers this? The pastors used to go up and down the aisles for the altar calls, making eye contact with you, man, freaking you out and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> because his self-esteem was out how many people came. He'd count the people that come and kneel there, so that's how he got his self-esteem. 
But mom said that somebody one day during an altar call came up to her and, said, and came up to her. And mom was a Methodist, and so she had a little makeup on and a few earrings and said, is everything okay with you, sister? And she said, yes, it is. And she believes to this day it's because she was more adorned than most of the ladies in that church. It's amazing how church people can keep people from church. But also I think it's amazing how church people can keep people from church. You understand what I'm getting at? It, I just can't believe it that church people can keep people from church. Why would anyone have their eyes so much on people and make a judgment about a whole group of people because of the actions of one or two. And that has to be said in this whole discussion. And when, when one person says something or two people says something, 500 people get judged and I walk out of there. That's amazing to me how anyone would let church people, get people keep people from church. And I think that needs to be said. Now, I failed all my pastoral care and counseling classes in, in seminary. And you know I'm the founder of www.getoverit.com. You know that, okay? But Jesus believed in getting over it too. He just said it with a lot more warm and fuzzies than I do. Jesus says you need to forgive them. He just says it with more warm, warm and fuzzies than I do. I just... Get over it, man. I, I don't know how you got to get over it. I'll help you get over it. Let's just get over it together. But you got to get over it. You can't keep wallowing in all your grief and wallowing in all the things that happened 13 years ago. I'll help you get over it. It's hard to get over. I know it's hard to get over. I get that. I've had things happen to me. But for the, for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of your children, for the sake of your unbelieving friends, get over it. Don't grow bitter. Don't drink your own poison. Get over it. For the sake of the boys in your home, for the sake of your daughters in the home, for the sake of the people in a small group that you've complained about this for four years now, too. Get over it. It's a bitterness and a poison that's festering in your spirit. And it makes you a person that no one wants to be around. With all the love and grace I can say in my heart. Do what you have to do. Come talk to me. Now nobody wants to come talk to me now after I said that. But no. <laughs> I'll try to help you if I can. I'll get you to other people that can help you. Do what you have to do. But you know what I found out in 18 years of ministry? Some people enjoy being the victim. They enjoy feeling sorry for themselves. And I want to say that with all the love that I can bring in my heart. Jesus wants you to get over it. He just says it nicer than I do. And he says, forgive them. And he adds a little caveat that it's pretty harsh, really. He says, if you don't forgive them, I'm not going to forgive you. I've had bad church experiences, too. When I planted my first church in Georgia, I had my number two man in the whole church. He was my right-hand man. He was my go-to man. He, he, he sent me an email one, 
one morning at six o'clock and told me that he's leaving the church and never returning. I, I remember, I remember calling Sue in. I said, "Look at this." And he had hopped a plane that morning, went to California. I said, "I'll fly anywhere and meet with you right now." What is this? Now, what I found out two months later, he was committing adultery on his wife. It hurt me. I cried. He let me down. We, were, we had a fledgling little church plant that was hanging by the skin of our teeth, and he let me down. I was hurt. And he blamed, and he, and, and he never told me he was committing adultery. I, I found that out later. He blamed it all on me and what a bad pastor I was. And that was a bad church experience that I could have let, I could have let fester on me, and, but I knew he didn't represent the whole church. I could have thrown my hands up and said, this is not for me. Same church, I had a gentleman that just, man, I tell you, we were oil and water, man. And one day, one day he went out and he striped the church parking lot. Didn't ask anybody. He just went out and striped the church parking lot. And it was a rented building. We didn't even own the parking lot. And he did a redneck job of it. <laughs> and a few months later, he tried to put a little, this is not the right word, a little landing or a little porch on the front and the side of our church. And he laid the concrete, and the concrete was like, like this. <laughs> I said, who told you to do that? He called my house five or six times a week. And man, I tell you, the only reason I think I ever got married is so Sue could take those phone calls from me, man. I, <laughs> that little caller ID thing is the best invention that's ever, ever happened, man. I uh, came up here to plant a church and, and I had one of my board members was, was conspiring against me and called little other little meetings, lunch meetings with other board members trying to, to get rid of me. and uh, I never ever said anything to him about it. He ended up moving away about six months later and I showed up to help him load his truck. And very Christian about it. But I knew all about it. I mean, I could have let that drive me away from the ministry. could have let that drive me away from the church. But I knew it wasn't the whole church. I knew it was just pockets within the church. Not only the situation here that I told you earlier that happened, I, just a few weeks ago, I heard two ladies out talking about me. They didn't know I heard them. I, they were talking about me and my uh, shortcomings as a pastor. I heard them talking right out there in that hallway right there. I, I'm the, I know my shortcomings better than you do. I could throw my hands up and... But see, it's... It's not everybody. And I can't judge a whole group of people just because there's a few bad eggs. A few people that gossip, a few people that talk, 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 talk. And even though the difficulties that I've had in church, can I tell you, the very best people I've ever met in this whole world have been church people. Not every single church person, but the most kindest, the most sweetest people I've ever met 
from Central United Methodist Church in Maysville, Kentucky, all the way to Xenia Nazarene have been church people. And I will not let a few bad eggs keep me away from church. Because I don't go to church to see you, and you don't come to church to see me. You come to church to worship God. And you're led by a fallible leader, and I lead fallible people. And somehow, God works through all that. <laughs> so my dad's words ring in my ear again. I don't know why God puts up with any of us. Now, if you don't understand that statement, you think you're a pretty good person, you're probably one of them church people that keep people away from church. If you don't understand what I'm just saying right here. Stuff goes wrong, friends. You cannot be around any group of people. If you've got two people, there's going to be conflict. If you've got two people, there's going to be conflict. And so what happens when there's 550 people? Know that. Come to the church knowing that there's going to be conflict. Someone's going to say the wrong thing. I probably am going to be offended from time to time. It's part of being amongst people. I can go stay in my house all the time, I guess never get offended, but if I'm going to... Pastors aren't perfect people. And I'm tired of trying to be one, to be quite honest with you. I, I really am. And I said this a year ago at District Assembly. We were supposed to get, stand up and tell people how we've grown in holiness in the last year. Doesn't sound that sound real churchy. And I said the way I've grown in holiness in the last year is I've, I've, started, I've stopped trying to impress you with my spirituality. I've stopped trying to be super Joe Christian for you. And I'm just Mark Atherton. And God is still rubbing the rough edges off of me, but I'm comfortable with Mark because God is comfortable with Mark and I'm stopping trying to be, impress you with my Christianity. Stopped. And I'm 55 years old and I may have 10 or 12 years left and I just ain't doing it anymore. I'm just not doing it. God's going to continue to rub off the rough edges on me and, he, and hopefully by the time I retire, I'm a sweeter and more kind and godly person than I am right now. But I cease to try to impress people by trying to be very godly and do all the pastoral things you're supposed to do. I'm just Mark, and I do some things well, and I'm very lousy at other things. And an acceptance of that from all of us, we all accept one another that way, can lead to a more harmonious church experience. You're not mad at me, and I'm not mad at you, but let me tell you, friends, this is a fallible institution that we have called the church. And as long as there's me and you in this church, it's going to stay pretty fallible. Let's know that. And maybe some of our church experiences won't throw us from a loop, and we won't let church people keep us from church.